Essential Insights, a podcast for healthcare professionals. My name is Cassidy, and I'm your podcast host for the Hospice and Home Care Webinar Network. On today's episode, we'll be meeting with one of our presenters, Joanna Para. Today's speaker has over 25 years of sales and leadership experience in the healthcare industry, including long-term care, hospice, home health care, assisted living, infusion, psychiatry, and pediatrics. Joanna's expertise focuses on business development, employee coaching, and customer employee engagement with a special emphasis on emotional intelligence. For today's podcast, we'll be learning more about Joanna's career, her education and background, as well as her thoughts on leadership, including some advice she has for people in leadership roles. Without further ado, let's jump right in. All righty. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Joanna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I'm so excited to jump in and hear a little bit more about your background. So you've worked in sales and leadership roles for over 25 years with an emphasis on business development, employee coaching, and customer employee engagement. What made you decide to get into these industries and why do you stay? What a great question uh, with a big answer. (laughs) Um, So my history, I actually started out my career wanting to be a clinician. And I really found it to be so interesting, human behavior and the different variables that play into human behavior, whether it's buying behavior, referral behavior, an employee's behavior, a leadership behavior. And so what I did was um, I learned as much as I could about psychology. I got my degree in psychology. And then I really started out, you know, focusing on my sales career and understanding what it is that customers really want and what influenced them to make buying decisions. That then really grew into, as I was growing in my own career as a leader, I started to apply some of the same principles that I applied to customer interactions to employees. And really saw that uh, a hardcore selling approach very rarely works and a hardcore management approach also rarely works. So then I started to apply that principle to engaging employees and working on different projects. And I really enjoy identifying the variables of human behavior and then being able to manage those variables in a positive way for the desired outcome. So that's kind of how I got into it, a very shortened version, Um, but I really enjoy it. And it it really has a lot to do with just interacting with human beings. And I I enjoy that. Wow, that is an incredible background. I mean, really, it makes sense because I mean, if I think back on like all of my jobs and stuff, I can specifically look back on some jobs where they had like a really overbearing manager where I was like, Lord, I can't handle working here. So I guess all of that really makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it really does. So throughout your teaching career, you have used emotional intelligence as your platform due to how it positively impacts organizational objectives. What is emotional intelligence and how does it impact the organizations you work with? 
That's another powerhouse question. So I'm going to give you the actual definition of emotional intelligence. So in its true form, it's really the ability to be aware of our own emotions and their impact on us and their impact on our performance and being able to identify emotions in other people and being able to manage that and respond in the moment to the emotional data that we are receiving. And, you know, emotional intelligence consists of four main quadrants or four main domains. And those are self-awareness is how aware are we of ourselves, self-management, how well do we manage ourselves, social awareness, how aware are we of other people and their emotions, and relationship management. How well do we manage the interactions and relationships that we have with other people? And this is something that I have a great interest in and decided to become a certified emotional intelligence coach. But, you know, it helps me in other areas of my own business in terms of leadership, Uh, leadership development, training, interacting with clients, um, and coaching. So when you think about emotional intelligence, the way that I usually start out a lot of my presentations is by saying, you know, uh, almost every purchase that we, we make comes with some type of instructions, some kind of direction. So you buy a car, you get a manual. You know, it's it's now in the middle of summer. Let's say you bought a new grill. You get a lot of instructions. You buy a piece of clothing. There are, is an instructions tag. You buy food. There is, you know, instructions on how to cook it. Um, there's a lot of instructions. But you know what doesn't come with instructions is human beings. They don't, it, it, it's a hard thing to learn is, And that's who we work with. You know, um, most of us in hospice or home health or palliative care, private duty, we work with human beings and there's no instruction manual for that. Now, there's an instruction for a clinician on how to treat a patient, how to evaluate a patient, how to admit a patient, how to document. For a salesperson, there is sales training, how to open up a conversation, how to overcome objections, how to close. And for an operations leader, there's training on how to do financials, how to read a PL report, how to manage staffing. But there's no real manual for how to connect with another human being. Emotional intelligence and the training around emotional intelligence can help us understand our customers, our employees, our superiors, our family, our friends, our children, and it it can really help us connect, which then can, can give us an overall increased satisfaction with our life and our work. Now, that's kind of a, you know, an expanded definition. In terms of how does it impact an organization, Organizations with high, highly developed emotional intelligence focuses on people and how to get the best performance out of them by giving them what they need, human connection. And uh, emotional intelligence companies, high, you know, in, in companies that have high emotional intelligence, they see better performance, 
higher retention, lower turnover, higher engagement, uh, more um, satisfied employees, employees that are more um, willing to take initiative and action, more creativity. Now, a lot of times people, when I say more creativity, they stop and say, well, why would we want creativity in an organization, a healthcare organization? Well, creativity comes in many forms. We tend to think of it in the art form. However, creativity can be resource allocation. It can be a staffing model. It can be problem resolution. It can be creating an interesting way to gain engagement or recruitment. So creativity is more in the mind. It's not just you know, from a creative artistic perspective. Certainly it applies there, but creativity is about really having an open mind to look at problems and challenges in many different ways and being able to apply different and creative solutions. Wow. I mean, that's like a really great way to think about that. And it kind of leads me right into my next question. What are your biggest challenges you're seeing leaders face when it comes to emotional intelligence? So this one, uh, you know, I think is tricky because some people lean towards being a connector and other people don't. So some people just have a natural tendency. They're very curious about human beings. They want to interact. They want to connect. Other people, and when you think about specifically like a corporate environment, um, you know, performance is the name of the game. And so what comes along with performance is a sense of urgency. When people have a sense of urgency, they tend to leave emotional intelligence to the side. So for instance, you know, I have a lot of experience in sales. I love sales. Sales comes with a lot of urgency and a lot of pressure. However, if that pressure is not coupled with an offering of help and understanding and coaching, that salesperson may become very demotivated and feel uninspired. Uh, Also, I see that generally, okay, I would say that the number one reason why people, you know, in terms of a barrier to emotional intelligence, I would say that it's urgency um, and not taking the time to really focus and learn the skills that are very helpful in terms of driving for performance, but under the emotional intelligence kind of domain. Wow. I mean, that's actually really, really interesting. And I mean, really, you are correct when you say like with most other jobs in hospice, there really is a lot of you know, compliance training or training for sales, but there really isn't a lot on emotional intelligence at all. Um, so I think it's definitely something we all could use more of in our lives. <laughs> it's, it is the absolute number one thing that, that I get calls about is can you do training um, and specifically for two areas. So number one is sales. Salespeople who have a highly developed emotional intelligence are far more successful than those that don't. People that lead teams that have highly developed skills in emotional intelligence 
prove to be more successful and effective in their leadership. So it comes up over and over and over again. Also, in, from a clinical perspective, we would think that automatically, because empathy, which falls under social awareness domain in emotional intelligence, comes naturally to clinicians. However, when you think about a clinician's role, they have their you know, caseload for the day. They have responsibilities for uh, compliance documentation, making sure they fill out a lot of paperwork. And all of these things, when you think about it, have forced our clinicians into the opposite of emotional intelligence. When really people that got into a clinical role generally didn't get into it because they want to be really great at documentation. So we have to take on the responsibility and understand that it is a balance And while people need to be trained on the proper way to document so that you can get reimbursed, also people have to be trained on how to connect with human beings so that you have a positive outcome and a positive influence on families, patients, referral sources, colleagues, et cetera. You are so, so, so right. I mean, you can just think about like in like older movies and stuff like where like a nurse is being like really terrible bedside manner or something. And that's just kind of something that it made me think of and like coaching people to have more friendly manners and just be like more empathetic and such with people. Absolutely. So what is one piece of practical advice you could give to someone getting started in a leadership role? This one, uh, I I will love to answer. Um, So when we think about leadership, we tend to think of it as just something you kind of, you know, fall into and you can um, do it from any discipline. So let's just take uh, three disciplines, ops, clinical, sales. Sometimes what happens is something that um, is a really interesting phenomenon, and it happens in other industries as well. So, for instance, you have a great salesperson. They're very productive. They exceed their quotas. They're great with people, and they understand whatever product you're in. So, whether it's hospice or home health or palliative care, whatever it is. So, automatically, it seems natural for them to move into a leadership role. However, it's really two different disciplines. When you think about sales, somebody has been been trained on sales, they've done it a long time, they have practice and practice and they understand it. But usually when someone gets promoted from being a great representative to a leader, they have absolutely zero training and leadership. So let's look at it in another industry. And then I'm going to draw it back to, uh, you know, the industries that we're talking about. You can look at almost every area of sports, soccer, basketball, football. I mean, it's, it's all over baseball where you have an exceptional player that is considered, you know, almost equivalent to an individual contributor in a company and they do a phenomenal job 
And then when you move them into the coach role, they no longer are doing well and they cannot inspire, they cannot manage, and they cannot coach other people to success, even though they were successful themselves. And the reason for that is because it requires a different skill set. So really, that's like this, you know, focus on leadership development. It's because so many terrific performers end up in a leadership role with no understanding of human behavior, human motivation, how to correct a performance issue, how to identify a performance issue, how to inspire, how to coach, how to get someone on a career path so that they can grow, it is an entirely different discipline. And this is one thing we miss. So another example for the industries that we're talking about, a nurse that continually gets phenomenal feedback. That was the best nurse. She was so kind. She was so um, good with my, you know, the family. She can communicate with the referral source. She manages her heavy caseload. She knows how to route and use her time effectively. And then you promote that person. It is an entirely different job. It is not the same job. And so there is this really misconception that the best person to promote is a person that has done the job. And while that is somewhat true, the training, leadership training, Leadership coaching needs to take place because there is oftentimes we promote people that are absolutely uh, deserving of some type of increase in pay, compensation, and, and perhaps leadership, but they don't necessarily have those fine-tuned skills that will drive a team to exceed performance expectations. So what do I recommend? First of all, I recommend that companies and leaders who are responsible for promoting make sure that they implement leadership training immediately, leadership development coaching immediately, and really supervise and stay close to the person they promote. Because managing people takes a whole different skill set. So if, if, if let's say, you know, I, I work on coaching, I do teaching and uh, facilitation in leadership development, and I love emotional intelligence. But let's say that somebody said, you know what, Joanna really does that really well. So we're going to make her, um, we're going to just promote her into another role that requires a different set of skills. How likely would it be that I would succeed without training and a lot of focus? The answer is low. So we have to look at leadership as its own discipline and not just as this natural outcome to being a great performer in a specific discipline. So I know that this is a long answer. So what would I recommend? I would recommend studying. This is something that I know seems very old school, but I recommend this almost every day to my clients. 
When we went to college, we studied to become an expert at something, to be, to have mastery over something. And to think that you, anyone could move into a leadership role without studying leadership principles, leadership techniques is really, um, it's almost negligent. It's, it's, it's just not realistic that somebody can just do it. So I recommend studying. I recommend learning. I recommend failing and, and examining what happened during that failure. How can I learn from it? What did I learn from it? Can I move on from it? Get back up. Learn about resilience and the factors that, that take somebody falling down eight times and continuing to get back up. Ask for feedback all the time, even if it's uncomfortable, and then weigh that feedback carefully. I recommend reading every great leadership book there is. There are phenomenal books out there. I have books and books in my own private library of leadership. I have them post-it notes. I have notes. I have highlighted principles. Then when I think, oh, you know what? I might forget that principle. I I write it on my whiteboard in my office so I can see it. Practice. Practice different techniques. Examine. Lean in with curiosity to understand the people that you're leading. Take workshops. Go outside of your own organization. Go outside of just your, you know, your uh, webinars. Very effective. Learn, listen to podcasts, um, go to, you know, ask. I can remember early in my career when I, the first management job I received, I was absolutely clueless. And so I realized that fairly quickly. And I remember asking my supervisor, who was a senior leader, and I said, you know what? I would like to become better at this job. These are the following workshops that I found in my area that will not cause, you know, a lot of expense to the organization to travel, could I, can I have permission to attend? And I remember him saying, absolutely. And I, I will never forget that first workshop and how fueled I felt and how I walked out of there. I will never forget. It was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I felt like, wow, you know, I'm learning and I feel really good. I'll give you just another quick example, which was a pivotal moment in my career. Believe it or not, I used to be very fearful of public speaking. And I also recognized that I was being asked in my role to continue to do presentations, facilitation, and I went and I thought, okay, I am never going to be able to survive my career unless I get really much more comfortable in this. So I went to my supervisor after doing a lot of research, again, senior leader in the organization. And I said, listen, I know you've asked me to do a lot of public speaking. I get asked a lot to do public speaking, but really I feel very anxious and nervous. I have found a training that I believe um, will help me. And it, it's, a, it's a big commitment on my part, but it's also a big cost commitment, which I'm not able to meet at this time. Would you consider paying for it, understanding that I will attend each class and I will put my best foot forward? And lo and behold, he said yes. And that training was also in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 
and that was the Dale Carnegie course. I took it. It was several months of public speaking, of learning about how nervousness plays into public speaking. And, um, and I really, my, I think that my career took off after I graduated that course. I learned so much about leadership having a kind of a more public presence and being able to speak to people in a way that was inspiring. And it was my own style. It wasn't anyone else's style. And uh, I recommend that for any leader to continue to take their education and their advancement upon themselves. If you see an opportunity, ask your company, will you support me in this? I know, and I, I have left that company. However, I feel so good about what I was able to give back to that company and give back to hundreds of employees based off of what I took it upon myself to learn about leadership. So I think that that's probably the best answer I could give you. <laughs> Honestly, that's an amazing answer. And I feel like that is so true is that you do have to continue learning and learning over and over again. One of the favorite things my boss, my current boss has ever told me he, and I think this is just kind of like a leadership thing that I think is a good takeaway too, is he was like, I want you to succeed no matter what, regardless of whether it's in my company or if you move on to go somewhere else, like you should always want your employees to succeed in what they're doing and giving people those learning opportunities and moving forward with them as a person and watching them grow. I feel like that all kind of wraps into one thing as well. And that the whole thing you just said about your boss and him getting you into those courses, it just made me really think about that too. <laughs> yeah, I will never forget about him. I will never forget about him. Um, I actually just thought about him last week and he has since retired, but I will never forget that he gave me that opportunity and I continue to use what I learned and hopefully teach other people so they retain it, but also inspire them to go on their own path because no two leaders are exactly alike, but that doesn't mean that uh, they can't get an effective outcome and they can't inspire other people. Um, leadership is a gift and it's an honor. And when we treat it like that, we take care of it, meaning we continue to educate ourselves. We ask for further education because we want to be the best we can because it's a huge responsibility to lead other people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very important thing to ponder and to examine. How do I lead? What is my style? What do I really care about? And how do the employees or the people that I leave know that I lead, excuse me, um, how do they know I care about it? So it's it's important. I, I am very passionate about leadership and believe it, it was a gift that was provided to me. And I will be forever grateful to this organization that helped me get going and saw leadership capability in me. Well, you know, that is honestly that just right what you said right there, just I was really happy to hear that, honestly, because if you have a bad leadership, 
it's just going to affect all of your employees negatively. And having somebody who's in your corner and really goes to bat for you for, to continue your education is an amazing thing. Um, I know at Powered by Para, your focus is on leadership training and development. Can you tell us what are the most effective leadership styles? Yes. Uh, so uh, this is, you know, this could be kind of a course unto itself is all the leadership styles and the pros and cons, but really um, the most effective, and this is all from research and uh, a lot of studies is a combination of the coaching approach, which is easily described as, hey, try this, you know, and, and you shape behavior by a kind of a neutral approach of, you know, what can we try? Let's take a look at this. Um, and an authoritative approach. So an authoritative approach sounds really scary, but it's actually not. It's more of the approach that you state a goal. This is where we're going. Come with me. And you don't dictate necessarily how someone does something, but you give the overall arching goal. A combination of those two tend to be very effective in leading and inspiring other people. So when you think about what does that actually mean, that means retention, that means further advancement, that means flexibility, um, you know, so there's a lot of capabilities and competencies that fall into that, but the outcome is the best. And that's not necessarily just about my opinion. That's actually research and data driven. I happen to agree with that. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many different styles of leadership. And I think that's those two, when you said authoritative, I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause you know, when you think authoritative, you think of your parents yelling at you in the other room. <laughs> and so I'm glad you expounded on what that was a little bit, because that's very interesting to me. And I think that's a good way of looking at it as well. Yeah, the, the style that you're talking about, um, sometimes we kind of have these ideas in our head based off of the label of the leadership, you know, style. And so the leadership style that you're actually talking about with yelling and, and you know, those that could be dictated being like a dictator or a pace setter. So, you know, you need to do it like this and this is the only way you do it. Um, so who would ever think that those would be the labels? Um, but, but yeah, authoritative is not necessarily a bad thing, is, especially when it's combined with a coaching approach. That is amazing. And I mean, you just have so much knowledge and I really thank you for coming on this podcast today with me so everybody else can learn a little bit more about you. Well, I really appreciate you asking and it's always been an um, just a joy to work with you and uh, to provide, uh, you know, facilitation of presentations, whether it's live or recorded. And um, I've really enjoyed, you know, working with the organization over the past few years. Well, we appreciate it as well. And I hope you have a great rest of your day, hon. All right. And listen, thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Joanna. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can check out a list of webinars presented by Joanna by clicking on the link in the episode notes. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or your favorite podcast platform for the next episode of Essential Insights. Before I close the podcast, I'd like to thank our state association partners, Joanna Para, powered by Para, and you, the listener, the essential worker. Thank you for all that you do for the healthcare community. Be safe and take care.